Welcome back, listeners, to another fabulous episode of The New Standard with my partner in crime, Neil Kulong. What's up, Neil? It's a beautiful fall morning here in Pittsburgh. Looks like that came in yesterday with around some severe weather. We've got temperatures now down to like the 50s, and it's supposed to be pretty fall-like from here on out. So uh, that fits with where we are in the season, the early part of the season. I'm excited to get going and talking about that with you this morning. Week three, baby. Let's get it going. Well, I'd like to say in, in, in sunny well, I shouldn't say sunny Northern California because it's typically the opposite. It was a nice crispy 82, 83 yesterday, which is, uh, you know, it's odd for us up here. Um, it'll be 55, 60 pretty soon. We're going to keep this show crisp and clean this morning. Want to thank everybody who's already hopped on to the live chat. Big up to Wes Hickok. Big up to Double H. And uh, I don't know if you guys can see it too well in the background. You might have been able to see it a little better um, when um, the show was being queued up. Um, it's a nice little piece of artwork by Ian Whetstone, friend of the program. Ian does some artwork. It's actually a picture of Troy Palomalu, but you really kind of can't see it. You can kind of see the top of Troy's helmet. Hopefully uh, before, I'll probably put it on the intro artwork for the show when you guys um, look it up and find the show if you want to find the show do a search for the new standard and lance williams or neil Kong Kulong, excuse me on youtube also the show is available on all streaming platforms but let's jump right back into it and so we're going to start the program by just going through some of the injuries uh for both teams we'll, we'll start with the Bengals. um espn is reporting that t higgins is questionable Missed Wednesday's practice with the shoulder injury. Um, Larry Ogunjobi is questionable as well. Um, earlier in the week, Trey Wayans was questionable on the 21st. Um, and the last injury they're reporting is Xavier Ciofilo, who was questionable. Uh, Coach Zach Taylor said that he's considered day-to-day, and that was reported by Kelsey Conway. Uh, more importantly, on the Steelers' side, T.J. Watt is questionable. And we're going to bring T.J. Watt up when I get into my pet peeves at the end of the program. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is questionable. Heard he had a peck. Uh, Neil, break that down. Uh, Deontay Johnson, it looks like he avoided a serious injury um, at the end of the game last week. Um, he's being listed as questionable. Uh, Justin Lane is also being listed as questionable. But that's a little bit different than what the Steelers reported. So the Steelers reported again, Ben with a peck, Deontay Johnson with the knee, Joe Hayden with the groin. He was a limited participant on Wednesday. Justin Lane was also listed. They didn't list his status of whether he was a limited participant or not. Devin Bush was a full participant. Highsmith did not uh, participate. Carlos Davis and Eric Ebron as a coach's decision did not participate. And T.J. Watt, of course, was limited with a groin. What's your thoughts on the injury situation of the Pittsburgh Steelers going into this game? Is it normal bumps and bruises? And detail what you were talking to me just before we went on air in terms of media obligations, in terms of reporting injuries. Um, first off, my thoughts on the injuries is really, that was quick. Um, we, we said uh, pretty extensively this offseason uh, the Steelers don't have much of a, a margin for error and injuries were going to play a big part 
uh, in their success or their failure. This is on the wrong side of, of where they'd want to be. Um, questionable, whatever it is. Some of these guys are going to play, some of them aren't. Uh, whatever combination of it is, they're going to be operating at less than optimal uh, condition. And um, you you know Ben Roethlisberger is going to play. If you have played football and pads, if you have been a quarterback, a helmet and shoulder pads on, you need your chest to be able to throw the ball. If Ben has a pectoral injury, he's not going to be all that effective throwing the ball. He's going to play because, you know, there's no way they're going to sit him down. But that's that's a tough injury. Um, they're going to struggle with this. And I, I think that we, we saw uh, pretty clearly last week what happened when they're, they're uh, a team that's going to struggle with injuries. They're, they're not going to be able to win despite that. Um, it, it, they're going to have a tough time. I, I'm not going to make the prediction yet of, of where they're going to be. Uh, certainly not Thursday morning. Let's see how the rest of the practice week goes. To paraphrase Mike Tomlin, one of his favorite quotes of all time, they're going to let practice participation be their guide. So we'll we'll see how this all shakes out. But um, injuries are absolutely going to be a, a, a significant factor in, in this game as well as the rest of the Steelers' season. As a reporter, um, what you're going to see is a lot of different information regarding injuries. Um, the rule among the Steelers, and this is true of, of other teams as well. I just, I know it from an intimate level, uh, having been a credentialed Steelers reporter, you are not allowed to report injuries of any kind unless somebody confirms it. So you can see a guy go down and ambulances come to take him off the field. If a player or a coach doesn't formally admit that that happened, you can't report it. That is kind of the one way to say the beat reporters covering the team know a lot more than you think they do. They are just not allowed to report it at threat of um, their their credentials being removed. I don't, I'm not trying to make the, the Steelers out to be like a fascist government or anything, but they strongly control um, injury information. That's not you know exclusive to them. There are other teams that do it. It, it seems to me, in my experience, the Steelers – um, put a little bit more zeal into that than other teams do. That said, um, it, you'll get the injury report from the Steelers, which is literally the bare minimum of what they're obligated to report, which is just participation. It's not a status. It, it's not status as much as it is participation in practice. So you look at the guys that have LP, which is limited practice. You don't know what that means in terms of their availability for the game. Um, Mike Tomlin is going to control that message only certain players are allowed to say certain things to the media. Unless you get them to talk, you're not going to know about it. But the practice report is going to show you where they are. You don't know uh, what TJ Watt's situation is if he was a limited participant in practice. You don't really know what that means. Uh, a guy like Eric Ebron, in this case, for, for this week, um, who else was it? Ebron and, and there was another veteran day off in here. Um, they are not practicing on Wednesdays at, at a coach's decision, which is what they call uh, essentially a veteran not being made to practice that day. Again, the team has to report practice participation, not injury status. Those are different things. When you, when you see that information uh, being reported by an outlet, it means somebody is confirming to them what the injury status is. And that's usually something that Mike Tomlin will speak to after practice or leading into a game. Um, it's tough to get that kind of information, and most of the time it, it can be frustrating for people, but the Steelers don't operate as if they're obligated to tell you everything that's going on. Um, I'm not going to name the situation, but I was there once where everybody who was there saw that a certain player got injured, 
and that player was not yet activated to the roster. He was supposed to be, but then he didn't practice the rest of the week. We are, Everyone was anticipating that this player was going to be available that week to play, but they weren't obligated to report it. So they didn't. <laughs> they didn't say right, ever right. at any point that he was hurt. Yet everybody in the building knew that he was hurt and you were constantly bombarded with what's his deal? What's going on? Why, you know, is he going to play? Why don't you guys just tell us? Because I can't even really comment on it. If I do now at this point, you're going to know that something's going on. and I'm not allowed to report it. Nobody's going to tell me that this right. guy got hurt in practice, although I saw it with my own two eyes, two eyes. It, it's it, it can be kind of annoying like that. But the injury report is not really meant to be a, a, an injury update. It's practice participation. They call it an injury report. It's not really what it is. So uh, just keep that in mind as we go the rest of this week. They're all going to be listed as questionable. Um, the Steelers list everybody as questionable. In fact, there's a good key for you. Uh, right away, Tyson Alualu on Sunday um, was reported to be um, – we saw that he had a, a, a lower leg injury is what they reported. And right away, they say his status to the status to return is questionable. Okay, well, he fractured his ankle and he had surgery. He's out for the year now. They ruled him out 20 minutes after that. When the Steelers rule a player out during a game, that's when you know something significant happened. Otherwise, they'll just right. be questionable the rest of the way. I, I, I say that, actually. You know what? They, they did rule T.J. Watt out. Um, but that wasn't until well into the second half when – you know, he was out there uh, without pads on. It was obvious he wasn't going to play again. So they they stick pretty clear, pretty closely to the idea that they don't have to be completely revealing about everything. Let me ask you real quick before we get into the next segment, your three key stats that you have identified as being significant going into this third game. Um, does it matter? And this is from Wes Hickok. Does it matter uh, that the injury is on the non-throwing side uh, of Ben's chest, in your opinion? I, I, Ben's going to tell you it doesn't. I'm going to say that you need your whole chest. You need your rotation from your shoulders down through your hips to be able to throw a ball um, with, with good velocity. Now, Ben is, is a, a, a cagey veteran. He's nine trillion times the athlete I've ever dreamed that I could have been. I'm not saying that there's a direct comparison between the two, but physically speaking, yeah, I think there is something to it. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't even have mentioned that, that his left side hurts. It's not as easy to, to rotate your body if that's not on equal balance with each other. If one side is stronger than the other, you're not going to be as effective as you probably need to be. It messes up your timing. Um, let's, let's put it this way. Injuries in the NFL, I think, are oftentimes seen as the player's in pain. That's why he's not playing. Players usually have some type of, of playtime or performance-based incentives in their contract. And right or wrong, we're not going to get into it in this show, Lance. They use a lot of tour at all to get out on the field. It's not a question of pain. It's a question of, of how functional are you. That's the injury. So you, you hear about like a hamstring tweak or something like that. It's not as if the guy's in pain and he can't play. He could play if he had to. He's just not going to be very good. He's not going to be as effective because you right. need that to be, uh, at, you know, at playing at an optimal level. My opinion, I don't think we're going to see Ben capable of throwing the ball with as much velocity as as uh, he's able to. Um, I'll leave it to you guys to argue how, how good that really is. But – I think we're going to see a different type of, of uh, mechanical release from Ben. That's usually not a good thing for a quarterback, especially not this early in the season. Um, I, I it, we'll, we'll see how it goes. 
Let's put it that yeah, way. I, I, I was speaking to my Bengals editor, um, Chris Rowling, a great follow, by the way, on, on Twitter. Bengals Wire is a great site. Uh, good good uh, opponent research if you want to dig into that. I asked him his thoughts of the game before this, and he told me, well, Ben says he's hurt, so that means he's going to come out and throw for 350 and four. Um, ben says he's hurt a lot and tends to kind of come out playing well, but we'll see. Chess is a different uh, – th- that's a different beast, even if it's not your throwing side. Yeah, it's it's interesting how Ben uses uh, injuries to spin and create narratives. But as a former baseball player, I'll say um, having a pec injury is tough because you do have to open your chest and rotate. And when you're throwing a football, you're actually pointing with your opposite shoulder. So you're opening up and you're using your left shoulder as the shoulder that you're using to target and to – and the other thing is you're not always throwing with perfect mechanics in the pocket. Sometimes you're throwing with your chest actually fully open. You're throwing off balance and you're throwing at different weird uh, arm angles. So it's it's going to be impactful. Your, your upper chest and your pec area is going to um, dictate how you're throwing the football. But let's jump into the next segment. And because you were talking about uh, the injury report, I'm, I'm going to start. I'm going to go first with, with my three stats. And last week we talked about the game in general, just our, 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 our thoughts post game in general. But I just wanted to jump into some stats to just illustrate kind of where the Pittsburgh Steelers are. And a couple of stats that I wanted to look at were points per drive, points per yard, and yards per drive, because everything is about scoring in this league. And, you know, if you don't score points, you don't have the uh, a point differential of probably seven to 10 points over the course of a season, you're not going to be a team that's going to compete for a Super Bowl. So right now, and I know you can't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you take away the seven points that the Steelers scored via special teams, the Steelers are averaging about 16 and a half points per game. And I say that just to set and frame what I'm going to say next. So if you look at their points per drive, and that's just simply dividing the number of drives that they had in the game, Um, you're dividing the points by the drives. And so right now, if you take their first two games, and I think the Steelers have had 22 drives. And when you look at the drive, sometimes when you look at drive stats, some drives are like one play because it's a kneel down at the end of the half. And so literally sometimes you can boil it it actually down to maybe 10 10 drives. So right now the Steelers are averaging 1.8 points per drive. So if you put that in the context, and I use 30 points sort of as a gold standard in the National Football League. If you're a team that's averaging 30 points, you're doing damage offensively, and you're a team that's going to win a bunch of games by sheer offense alone. You can be an average defense. Other parts of your team can fall apart. But if you're consistently averaging close to 30 points per game, you're winning double-digit games. So – when you look at the number of 1.8 points per drive, it would take them 17 drives in a game to score 30 points. Listeners, teams aren't getting 17 drives. 17 drives is basically two games of football. So just put that in context. The next stat I wanted to jump into was yards per point. So, uh, so just – just logically, the few, the, if you're getting fewer yards to get points, that's where you want to be. 
there was one year, I think a couple of years ago, I think the Kansas City Chiefs were averaging, it was somewhere around eight yards per point, which is absolutely ridiculous. So they were scoring a point for almost every first down that they got in a game, which meant they were super explosive. That It did not take them many yards to get 30 points, and that's where you kind of want to be. So if you look at the Steelers in the number of 14.6 yards per point, to score 30 points, this offense would have to get roughly 438, point, 438 yards in a game to get 30 points. And we've seen this offense over the last two weeks, and – you know, it's going to be tough for them to get to that level of 30 points. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to get 30 points to win, but it would be really nice if you're talking about in context of a Super Bowl that they get to that number. And last but not least, it's yards per drive. They're averaging 26.5 yards per drive. That's a that's that's two first downs and a half. So so what, what what I'm getting to and what we're driving to, and I think Neil's numbers will echo what I'm saying, but just from a different perspective, they're struggling offensively. Where they're at offensively, it, it's going to be a very it, it's going to be very difficult for them to string together wins. And where they're at, every game is going to be competitive, and so. It, you know, going into this game, and, and that's why the show is titled Are the Bengals Just What the Doctor Ordered for the Steelers? The Steelers' offense needs an injection of something, and right now what they need more than anything is the injection of a bad defense and a bad offense because right now th their offense is not very good. Um, it's not the foundation that you want to build on if you want to win games and you want to move forward. So let me jump into your three. Uh, what's your thoughts on those three stats, Neil, before you jump into your three numbers? I think that's that's a, a long way to Richfield. Um, all of that is valid. I'm not denying it, but it, it's easily explained by they don't score points. You know, it, it's how about how about points per game from your offense? You you let off the segment by talking about you're you're actively removing the special teams touchdown there's a difference between team scoring and offensive scoring offensive scoring for the Steelers is 16 and a half points a game if anybody has watched this team through two games that's not a surprise anybody who's watched the NFL over the last 10 years if not longer knows 16 and a half points is not going to win you many games you're going to have to play lights out defensively which they did in week one and they did not in week two so really you're following right in line with where they're going as a franchise. Somebody made the comment earlier, this looks a lot like the Mason Rudolph-led Steelers from, from 2019. Put Duck in that as well. Duck Hodges didn't lead him really a whole lot better than that either. And it was the same thing as the last five games of last year. We shouldn't be even remotely surprised that this is how the Steelers offense is playing. We've seen this a lot. It, it's really, to me, it's as simple as that. Um, the reason for that, in my mind, um, yards per attempt passing, uh, it, I didn't write these down stupidly, Lance. I just gave you the categories. It's like 5.9, 6, something like that. That's a number in which you're usually mocking the quarterback. That's really not good. Yards per attempt means they're throwing this many times. That's resulting in this many passing yards. You don't worry about the completions part of it. It gives you a larger perspective of overall how many, how well are they doing throwing the ball? Really good is eight. 
really bad is five. The Steelers are much closer to five than they are to eight. And the saving grace is probably two deep throws that Ben has hit on. And it's been one of the few throws he's had this season in which he wasn't taking fire when he did it. That gets me to, um, this is actually my third one, but I'm going to segue into this very well. Hits on the quarterback. Defenses have hit Ben Roethlisberger 20 times in two games. Okay, he's already hurt now. <laughs> How long is he going to last? What's going to happen with this offense when you put Mason Rudolph in there? From a physical perspective, it, it's nothing against Rudolph. I'm not blaming Rudolph, but one, he's a, a, a statue in the pocket. It, it doesn't take much to knock that statue over, though. And he sits there like he's made of iron and he's tough and he can stand in and make all these throws. He can't. He's going to take fire probably worse than Ben is because Ben is smart enough to at least try to, to anticipate the rush that's coming and be able to escape. If Ben gets hurt, they're not going to win. Okay. It, it's to me, it's as simple as that. And I don't see anything at this point that, that suggests to me they're capable just of, of tweaking one thing here and there to fix their massive protection problems. They're not going to be able to do that very easily. Um, on the other side of it, yards per attempt rushing 3.2. They were at 3.3 last year. They drafted two offensive linemen, a tight end, and a running back with their first four picks with the effort, with the, the idea in mind that they would improve their running game. They haven't at all. It's the same team. It's no different. Fryermuth is a good player individually. I like what I've seen from young players, not you know average NFL veteran players, but young players, Kendrick Green, Dan Moore, They've got a future. That future is not week one or week two. They they were bad. It's not, it's not good. Um, Najee Harris, I'm not sure we've even really seen what Najee Harris can do. But what we know is he's not able to elude two defenders behind the line of scrimmage the second he touches the ball. So the reality is he's kind of a kind of an incomplete. I'm not really sure what we can say about him. Um, he's, he can make a play if they can figure out a way to protect the quarterback long enough to put him out in the passing game, which he's barely done. Made a nice play, nice run after catch to score a touchdown last week. We like that. that that's good. But to your point, that's that's he's been involved in every basically every drive the Steelers have had to this point in the season. And he's been on the field for, what, two touchdowns, something like that. He's scored one of them. They are a horribly inefficient offense. And I, I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon. To me, I don't think we've seen many examples in which where the Steelers are result-wise matches their stats as as perfectly as this year has to this point. They're just they're not a good offensive team in any regard. They don't have anything that they're good at. So uh, it, to me, we we can easily come up with ten other stats that that will show the the futility of what we've seen to this point. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you you are absolutely right. And, and and just to echo on that before we jump into uh, the breakdown of the game, because I do a spreadsheet where I collect some information that I share with Neil, and maybe I'll share it with you guys as well. Uh, maybe it's a little carrot I'll give to you guys if you guys get me some subscribers, get us some subscribers, continue to listen. Um, it's 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 the difference. Uh, statistics that I gather and I'm looking at points third down percentage red red zone percentage red zone attempts snap counts and some other things um, when you look at the Steelers in terms of points uh, they're minus one opponents are averaging 21 they average 23rd down percentage they they're averaging 37.5 they're converting 37.5 opponents are at 42 uh, percent they're good in the red zone 50 percent 
But the, the interesting thing about that stat is they don't get to the red zone. They only had one red zone trip. We're not even counting red zone trips because I mean, they don't have any. They don't get to the red We're zone. We're not asking so. you, Lance, how you like Disney World if you haven't been to Disney World, okay? It's that simple. I mean, they've had four red zone trips in two games. I mean, I mean that gives you that there. Snap counts, uh, they're a minus 32. They've had 111. Opponents have had 143. They average only 55 snaps, 56 snaps a game. Opponents are averaging 72. I mean, it goes down and That's down. It's such a on massive disparity. I mean, it's, it's, it's a massive, game. I mean, it's a massive disparity. Offensive yards, they hey, have five nine. People, people wanted Ben to be well rested, you know, <laughs> the pace that he's on. He's gotta be. They can keep him upright. He's just not gonna play much this season. I mean, it's 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 really uh it, it's really uh distressing when you and, and that's just using a nice word. Uh, last stat I'll just point to because I know this show has been numbers heavy. Uh, time of possession, Steelers are averaging about 26 minutes. Uh, opponents are averaging 34 minutes, a difference of basically a half a quarter difference that teams are having. Uh, so, again, uh, as we jump into this breakdown, uh, I'll start with you, Neil, and I'll start as we frame these breakdowns as what do we do well that you don't do well. I know I messed up the quote that I know I messed it up just a little bit, but it's just basically, you know, what's our strength and what's your weakness? What do we do good that you don't? And let's start with you, Neil, as you break down this game. Um, you know, what's the Steelers strength on either side of the ball that they can hang their hat on in terms of what do the Steelers do well that the Bengals don't do well? I, I mean, this is lazy. I don't want to act as if I, I didn't put time into trying to answer that question, Lance, but the Steelers don't do anything well offensively. They just don't. Um, they don't have the proverbial fastball that they can count on to get them a strike whenever they want. They're going to have to figure out how to get their receivers into space and to get their, their quarterback some time to be able to throw the ball. They're going to have to figure out how to manufacture um, non-gimmick running carries by explosive carries from the running backs, not their wide receivers, finding a way to, to come up with some basic fundamental things that they can do well. I think for the most part, um, they have athletic linemen. They can get them out in space around the edge. I think they can run some, some outside power with that. I think they've been running gap. Uh, a, a gap scheme of offense is really kind of like this is the lowest common denominator. It's what you do if you don't have a physical advantage in any one area and you want to be able to give assignments to your offensive line that they can't screw up. I think we've seen that for the most part. They're just not real good at it at this point. Um, maybe they can mix in some zone. Maybe that is something that they're working on. Zone requires a little bit more precision. Um, and when done right, it's harder to defend than, than gap would be. I think they're trying to get to that point. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a good time to kind of uh, break that in because you're facing a, a, a pretty good defense in Cincinnati. They're not messing around over there. They've added talent. Um, the thing with Cincinnati is they might be even more, you know, confused than the Steelers are. Uh, I, I really couldn't tell you who the Bengals are today. And I'm going to say this because I, I jinxed the hell out of this team the last time. You might recall that uh, slight thoroughly, completely ass-whipping that, that Cincinnati put on Pittsburgh last year. Before that game, I said, Zach Taylor is clearly one of the worst preparatory coaches in the NFL. 
you never have a good sense of what they're doing when you're playing the game. You don't know what they're trying to do. Uh, they came out and put what, like 40 on the Steelers that night, that, that primetime game last year. Um, complete and total disaster. Zach Taylor is, he, he loses two thirds of his games. Um, most of the time when you watch that team, you aren't really sure of who they are. I was intrigued by them this year because I felt like you've got this together now. You've got a good amount of talent there. I, I thought they had a good draft. They're, they're doing a good job identifying who they want to come in and play what I would think that they would want them to play, but they don't do it consistently yet. So to be honest with you, I could see the Bengals scoring six points in this game and I could see them scoring 40. I'm, I really don't know who the Bengals are today. So it, Pittsburgh is going to have to, to figure out at a basic level uh, what they're good at offensively this week because it, it's an explosive opponent. They have good pass rushers. They're going to get to Roethlisberger again if they don't protect him, and it, it's not going to end well for the Steelers after a while if they keep letting their quarterback get hit as often as they did. I think they, they've got to find a way to get the ball to their receivers in space, and they got to find a way to protect their quarterback. Um, I, I don't know it, how opponent-specific they're really going to be able to afford to be when they can't really do anything well, and they've run so few plays on the season. That's interesting when you say it that way in terms of the amount of plays. They're, they're, they're you know, when you run, and, and I'm glad you made the point, when you run as few plays as, as they have, they're, they're still trying to figure out something. They're, they're still very much in the discovery mode. Unfortunately, going into the third game, and a lot of times the way the NFL is structured now with training camp and so on and so forth, you can kind of see this. You can kind of see teams kind of find it and kind of figure out where they are. And we talked about it in earlier shows where it's sort of an extended preseason. But I think what we're seeing is, you know, the offensive line, and I'm not saying it's something that no one has ever said. You know, the offensive line is truly your foundation of your team. I mean, that's the structure of what your your, your house is built on. And when you have an inconsistent foundation, I mean, you have, you know, you don't have nothing. You don't have anything in particular. So when I, when I look at this game as what can the Steelers do that the Bengals can't and so on and so forth, the strengths and the minuses, I mean, the one thing I look at that, that I notice is that the Bengals as an offense are abysmal at protecting the quarterback. That even a, if, if a lot of times when I'm looking at this game, if the Steelers can get right, if Watt can come back, you have Hayden come back, Bush looks like he's on track to come back. If you have some of the defensive starters come back, I think that's the clear advantage that the Steelers have. You're talking about a Joe Burrow on 57 pass attempts has gotten sacked 10 times. That's incredible. And he's gotten hit another 16 times. So you're talking about getting hit or sacked on 26 times of his 57 pass attempts. This, this is going to be like a 10 to six game. And there's going to be like 12 sacks between the two teams. I mean, it, neither of these teams I mean, protect that, that's the, the, the passer at all. I, I mean, that's what it feels like. It feels like Hendrickson will have a field day. Um, and it feels like the Steelers, um, it feels like their defense will have a field day as well. Cause you look at also, and this is a staff for football outsiders adjusted sack rate, which just represents sacks divided by pass plays. And sometimes they consider kneel downs or whatever. They, you know, they, they kind of do a little differently. I mean, the Bengals, it, 
their adjusted sack rate is 14%. So that means 14% of the time he's getting sacked, hit, sacked. He's getting affected, which is dead last in the National Football League. So I think this is a game. And that's why I titled the show. Sorry, Lance, just to to interject. That is on pace in a 16-game season for what we're used to for a high level of passing, 77 sacks allowed. 77. And that's not pressures. That's sacks. sacks. Pressures is well over 100. No quarterback is going to be able to take that. That, That's the the workload of a running back. It's just insane. They're, so, they're really bad as well. So, yeah, it, so it's, it's going to so, be nuts. So this is a game as we shift into the predictions. Because I, I I think, you know, when you look at the Bengals, they do have nice weapons in Chase and Higgins and Boyd. Uh, and Joe Burrow um, is a nice young player. Mixon is a solid running back. But that offensive line, they're in a similar position as the Steelers are that their offensive line is the principal component that is holding this team down, which means they're in a rebuild, and so are the Steelers, which we talked about in several shows. Because I think what we're seeing, and I and everybody hates to hear that word, is that when your offensive line is in flux, you're in flux, period. Unless you yep. have, you know, unless you have superior, unless you have 2008 Ben, who's young, can take a licking, can get killed, still make, still run around the pocket, make plays, make stuff happen. Or let's say you have 2012, 2014 Ben, started to evolve as a quarterback, started getting rid of the ball a little bit quicker, but was still physical to extend plays and has that secondary physical reaction. Now you have 2021 Ben. A lot of hits on the body. He's got a peck early in the season and, and does not have the physical ability to sustain an inconsistent offensive line. So I, that's just to say, as we look at this game, as we jump into the predictions, this is a hard game to predict because both offensive lines are in a state of flux. What are you thinking about in terms of predictions in this game, Neil? Um, I I don't think – okay, I'll say this too. There is a a good correlation, particularly in the Ben Roethlisberger era and the Steelers, of their offensive output, the the more consecutive games they play at home. If if they have a two-game homestand, which they do, this game will be at Heinz Field, they tend to play pretty well – offensively in the second of those two games, regardless of whatever they do in the first or even opponent, they tend to do much better in the second game. Um, Taking that into account, but also pointing out, I was the one who told you last week that the Steelers offense usually went off in their home opener. And that clearly didn't happen either. I want to kind of think that it just, it can't be as bad as it's been the first two weeks. They have to break out at some point. And I think they're going to have more of an opportunity to do that because the Bengals, uh, their powerful but flawed offense at this point is going to give them more opportunities to get on the field and run more plays. I think Cincinnati has has a good defense. They're they're aggressive. Um, they they have a good scheme. You know, from what we've seen to this point, they can make plays, and that that's not going to be easy. But I don't think play for play, it's a dominant, suffocating unit. I think Burrow has shown he can turn the ball over. Um, He's a great player. He makes some dumb plays as well. I think they can exploit that to some degree. So I I want to think 
at the end of this, of the three games they've played to this point, this will be their best offensive game. So I like to think that they can win something 23-17, somewhere in there. Um, my biggest problem with that is clearly, if you look at the big play advantage between these two teams in every phase of the game, clearly Cincinnati has that advantage. Yeah, I think Far so. more playmakers on that team than there are in, on Pittsburgh right now. Um, but to the point you just mentioned, their offensive line sucks too. They're, they're terrible in protection. Um, they've just managed to get a couple big plays. <laughs> Steelers kind of have it, you know, not meaningful ones anyway. Um, not from their offense, I, I, I'm, I should say. So I, I, I like Pittsburgh in the game. Um, I can definitely see being wrong about that. I don't know who Cincinnati is. I don't think Cincinnati knows who Cincinnati is. I just know that Jamar Chase is an absolute beast physically. And if they find simple, easy ways to get him the ball in space, he's going to make a play eventually. And I don't think you can say that right now about the Steelers. So I, I, I think it'll be competitive. I'll give I'll give the Steelers the edge. Um, call it 23-17. But I, I don't feel good about that at all. When you average 16.5 points per game, you're running 55 snaps a game. Every game is going to be competitive. I, I think the advantage that the Steelers have is that it's the Bengals and it's at home. That you're playing a similar opponent from an offensive line perspective that's struggling. Uh, th this is a tough one. This is a this is a tough one to pick. Uh, I, I know where I'm leaning. I don't want to say it. But I think I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, I, I think the Bengals come to Pittsburgh and win a close game. I, I think the Bengals win somewhere around 23-20. Nothing in my mind as I watch this football team says that the Steelers can score, can score three touchdowns. Unless one of the touchdowns is essentially a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown, meaning – Special teams gets a block, put the offense at the five. Defense gets an interception, runs it to the three. Steelers run two plays, then they score. And it gets counted as an offensive score, but it's really a special teams or a defensive score. I have no it's, faith. It doesn't count as an offensive score. It counts as a team score. Their team scoring is no. with those plays involved. It's obviously not their offense at all. Yeah, I mean, it won't be. But, but yeah, but I'm just saying in the case where, you know, you get an interception and the guy gets tackled at the two. Offense comes on, they run a, they run a handoff and they score. Nothing that the offense oh, yeah. did. Yeah, okay. You know, nothing that the offense did. Same case with a punt, you know, or, or, or a special teams play of some sort. I, I have no faith that this offense can go out right now and score three touchdowns. So I'm going with the Bengals to win this game in an upset. 23-20, and I think we may see Mason Rudolph make an appearance as well. If Mason Rudolph comes in the game, it's not going to be because Ben is or is not playing well. It's going to be because Ben got laid out at some point, probably on a late free rush after he threw an incomplete pass because it's happened 14 times alone so far this season. It, it's There's no way they're going to be able to protect him to the level that they're going to need over a consistent amount of time. So yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. If Rudolph doesn't come in this game, he's going to come in the next game. He's going to come in the game after that. They're not going to keep Ben healthy. The, the way that they look right now, 
you know, Burrow doesn't look like he's going to make it either. So maybe it's another backup game. Do you remember that one in, in 2019? The, the worst combined quarterback play of a game I've ever seen in my life, weather conditions being fair, was 2019 when you had uh, that Ryan Finley guy who was just god-awful except for the game he played against us last year where he just ran. Finley started and played for the Bengals, and both – Duck and Rudolph got in for the Steelers, and it was just miserable. <laughs> if anybody complains about quarterbacks getting favorable calls in the pocket or you can't be too mean to the quarterback, show them a tape of that game, okay? That's why they do it. You can't have bad quarterback play and an attractive product on the screen anymore in the NFL. The quarterbacks have just gotten too good. We've gotten too used to watching a good product. You don't want Mason Rudolph on the field in week three. You don't want that. That's, that's bad for everybody. Give me your score again, Neil. You had the Steelers. 23-17 Steelers is what I said. And I hate it. I really don't like that. So as soon as the game is over, I reserve the right to change my pick. <laughs> that, that's hilarious. Let's jump into uh, pet peeves. And I have a pet peeve with Steeler fans. And my pet peeve with Steeler fans is how they pick and choose to be critical of particular players. How Steeler fan has given TJ Watt such a pass the last three months that it's unreal. First of all, the white guy is just going to sit over here and not say anything. First of all, the guy sits in, sits out, doesn't get criticized. And he is not getting criticized. Now he may play. But if he doesn't, or if he's limited, or if he's not the T.J. Watt that Steeler Nation, you know, lobbied for, and I, it always is mysterious when fans lobby for guys to get $7 zillion, of which you're not going to see a cent of. And in fact, that you're probably going to help him make more money because you're going to buy his jersey, which makes it more marketable and all that other stuff, anything, that's all tied in. That's just whatever. The guy was not in football shape. He plays five quarters. He gets hurt. Steeler Nation says nothing. Nothing at all. L let's just keep it honest. Let's just keep it fair. Rip the guy. Be critical. I mean, the guy was out of shape. He wasn't out of physical shape, but he wasn't in football shape. That's it. I mean, that's it. Like, let's just call a spade a spade. The guy wasn't ready. He got hurt. Can we be upset? Can Steeler Nation be upset? Can Steeler Nation be mad in any sort of way? No, because it's T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt's, you know, he's the Messiah of Pittsburgh. He's the, he, he, he's the uh, you know, he's the Messiah of quarterback sacks. I mean, come on, man. This is just it's just in a team that really needs the best defensive player, arguably in football, because they have an offense that scores 16 and a half points per game, because they have an offense that we've detailed with a numerous numbers that is absolutely struggling. You don't think that the Pittsburgh Steelers need their best defensive player, one of the best defensive players in football, to help this team? They need turnovers. They need field position. They need strip sacks. They need everything that T.J. Watt is and is being paid for but isn't right now because he sat out, 
He sat in. He did whatever. I don't know, whatever you call it. But that's my pet peeve. My pet peeve is with Steeler Nation, how they are selectively critical of certain guys and certain players. Okay, I, 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 a couple points I want to counter to that, just for the, the sake of, of full disclosure with everything. First off, as you know, Lance, watching that game, somehow or other, the entire Steelers defense suffered the same groin injury before, during, or after that game. So it wasn't just exclusive to Watt. They all yes. injured their groin. I don't know if they gave them bad Gatorade the night before or that the turf was loose or whatever, but clearly several of them had it. And Joe Hayden had it. He didn't play. And Hayden, you know, he, he practiced during camp. Um, I it, to, to your point, though, the soft tissue injury coming off of the, the non-holdout, holdout, not practicing and all that, it was, to some degree, highly anticipated by a lot of people. You really could kind of see it coming. Now, injuries are specific. I don't want to act as if there's a trend unless it's the staff infection that went through the Browns locker room like 15 years yeah, ago, yeah, you don't that. typically have a, a soft tissue injury is not reflective of, of a group of people. So that said, let's look at it like this. You remember back in the day, Lamar Woodley got a big contract. Lamar Woodley was literally chasing Tom Brady down to get what would have been his third sack of the game. That would have been, I, I believe it would have been through nine games. He would have been leading the NFL in sacks. And he popped a hamstring. Lamar Woodley's career ended at that moment. So it, as far as TJ Watt goes, let's not think for a second that everything is fine. He's going to be great. They've got him locked up. He's going to win every defensive player of the year award ever. Those injuries are damaging. We talked earlier in the, in the segment about um, – how an injury may or may not prevent a player from being able to play. It's not a pain-free sport. Watt could have played, but he's not going to be Watt with that injury. And I think he might have even had it at, at, at an earlier point in the game. He was dominant, though, when he was in there. He was dominant against Buffalo. And that's what makes me think of Lamar Woodley, because it was like, Woodley was on fire at that point. He was he was playing out of his mind. He was high level. He had just gotten the contract. The guy never really, I think he had like another seven sacks in his career after that that play in that moment. What strikes me, to, to put it mildly, as a little bit more physically dedicated to the game than Woodley. So I don't anticipate it's going to be a continuous thing. That doesn't diminish your point, though, because you're right. I can't help but think if that was James Harrison coming out of a holdout situation after winning the Defensive Player of the Year award, he wouldn't be massacred for not being able to play in the second half. That said, I, I do think there were some people that probably went too far with it. Um, I, I saw some comments that are just ridiculous. It's not a question of Watt's desire. Uh, if he's not effective, he's hurting the team. If he can't play at 100%, or he's way down the list, if he's at 60%, he's not as good as the next guy up. That's what they have to do. So it, it's you want him out there, but you want him healthy. It's also not, well, let's hold off on him because we got a long season to go. He's paid to play every game, and he is the big ticket guy on this franchise now. He makes twice as much money as Ben Roethlisberger does. He is the marquee guy on this team. He needs to be out there when he can be out there. If he can't, then he can't, but it's going to be a week-to-week -week evaluation. It is not going to be, well, let's hold off. 
let's hold off. He's not playing in an AFC championship game this year, okay? Unless they drastically change course and trade him. He's not playing in the AFC championship game, though. They have nothing to hold him back from. He's paid to play. He needs to be out there when he's able to play. I'm not sure that's a, a, a reasonable uh, uh, statement to make this coming game. I think he's going to get out there on a limited basis to some degree because a guy like him, and I hear what you're saying, and I understand what I'm going to get accused of for saying this, but a guy like him, you don't he's not going to be held back. You're if, if he can get out there and they're letting him out there, he's going to go out there. It's walking around the sideline without his helmet. That's indication right there that, you know, if he had his helmet, he'd just run back out there and nobody would stop him. So I, I I do understand what you're saying, and we could we could go an entire segment on examples of this kind of thing in Pittsburgh. But in this case, it's unfortunate. I do think because we we both expressed some concern about the fact that he wasn't playing football. Right, absolutely. I've I've said this a bunch. You don't get better at playing football by not playing football. Okay, nope. going on your peloton does not mean that you can go out and, and play on Sundays. You can be in great cardiovascular shape. You can't do it with a guy punching your chest. It's totally different. How so, about completing your Apple Watch rings? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm not surprised by this. It's unfortunate. Yes. I'm not surprised by it. You hope that you can heal up and you can get him back out there. But uh, early on in the season, this early in the season, it's going to be a bit. We're not going to see him playing at, at the level that you hoped to. Um, when he signed that contract, which to me is a defensive player of the year level. He looked like that when he was healthy. He's not going to be healthy again this season. You can't just, you know, you can't just tape that up and get out there and, and be at your best. And like Double H said, uh, no more kicking like a rocket after the after sacks, TJ. Uh, and you also- get the sack. He stunted and <laughs> ran into the guy. And then basically he, he couldn't move. You could tell. You could see right when it popped. And this is a nice little shot to uh... – the guy that I no longer say his name who blocked me on Twitter, which was hilarious. Least, <laughs> really? Yeah, he blocked me on Twitter. Oh um, man, um, uh, he blocked me on Twitter because uh, I call. I used to call him Mister Third and Fifth, um, and so and he said at least Watt didn't. Ali Howard, Species Fifty Six One A said at least Watt didn't knock over any water coolers. Before we get out of here. Cares? I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> best no, best player being, this team has seen in 30 no, years. No, I think he's being facetious with that. Ali is pretty funny. Uh the last thing people I went say, people went absolutely ballistic over that too. Like that's a big flipping deal. Who cares? Were you worried about the structure integrity of the, the Gatorade jug? Yes, yes, absolutely. Stupid. Um the last thing I want to jump into before we get out of here, uh, and this might be kind of controversial, but I'm gonna say it and 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 I think people you know they might get upset with it but um you know and I'm glad it didn't hurt the player because there's times when stat chasing goes wrong you know it's sort of to the uh the old school uh David Chappelle uh bit that he used to do when keeping it real goes wrong when he used to yell <laughs> Wu-Tang uh, after he would do it and so this is a case of Deontay Johnson when chasing stats could go wrong and he was absolutely <laughs> stat chasing at the end of the game and lucky for him he did not get seriously injured because he was stat chasing, trying to avoid guys to get extra yards. I was like, what is the point here? And I, I was like, come on, man. This, this is stat chasing at its worst. Uh, but luckily for him, he did not get injured. Before we get out of here, Neil, what do you got? Sorry, the thing with Deontay Johnson, I'll say this. This is what we're going to cover on the site. I, we're not going to, but I'm just going to say it. 
Deontay Johnson usually gets hurt in the first 10 plays of the game, not the last play of the game. Why did he have to save this one for, for the last play to make it a talking point for the rest of the week? He's paid to play. You get him out there to play. Yes, he, he's – let's put it this way. It's not as if the Steelers are going to be uh, uh, ambivalent to the fact that if he scored a touchdown on that play, that it literally meant nothing except it covered – You know, well, I didn't cover the spread, sorry. It, it, it wouldn't have mattered. They're not going to weigh that play – all that heavily, you know, in, in the long term, uh, those yards, the one touchdown, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. He's paid to play. You don't take a knee. I'd be even more pissed off if they took a knee at that point. You know, you, you compete. The game is still going on. People paid money to be there. Go compete. Don't get hurt. Deontay. Deontay Johnson has had an injury that's brought him to the sideline literally in every game he's played. Okay. He just needed to get that one more in. That's all. That's why he was out there. He kept his streak alive. <laughs> Wu-Tang. I draft Wu-Tang. <laughs> <laughs> what a great skit. Wu-Tang. Oh, oh my God. That, that, was funny. That, that was a great skit. We <laughs> <laughs> keep it real goes wrong. Wu-Tang. I, can't, I don't think I should even quote any of that, but my that, God, that, that was that funny. Is, that is absolutely – it would be lovely to go to work and jump out of, <laughs> out of a meeting and just yell Wu-Tang. <laughs> You get out of there. That was one of the best. Uh, <laughs> but anything you got coming up on um, that by chance, if any Bengals fans are listening, uh, or I know Steeler fans are listening, um, uh, anything you want to point them towards on the Wire Network? I honestly, Bengals Wire is a great site. Chris is a great guy. Um, I've really enjoyed what Chris Rowling is his name, R O L I N G. I've worked with him for many years, um, lots of Bengals-Steelers games. I've fired him four times in the middle of Bengals-Steelers games. I've always rehired him right after it, though. He, he's a great guy. He's a, a great writer. He has a great perspective of the team, and he's an excellent follow on Twitter. I, I strongly recommend you check out his stuff. I'm looking at his uh, page now. He has Ocho Cinco versus Science. That's an interesting picture on the site. <laughs> Chad Johnson, one of six Bengals Modern Era Hall of Fame nominees. In 2022, uh, Chad's not getting in. Highly, Chad, highly underrated player, though. But Chad, Chad was very was a, good. Chad, Chad highly was underrated player. Chad was a was a monster for that. But with that, listeners, we're gonna keep, we're gonna get on get out of here. Thank you guys for riding and dying with us and getting up early. Um, it, it's a, it's a labor of love. We love talking about this team, Wu Tang. Um, and uh, and with that, we're gonna go ahead and conclude the show. And as always, tune in, tell a friend and subscribe. Go Steelers.